Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we continue reading from the book of Esther with the 8th chapter. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the twenty-third day. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers, riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers, mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor, and in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. This is the word of the Lord. 
So as a quick review here, Haman was second in charge under King Ahasuerus, even to the point, as you see really in the first couple of verses here, where he had the king's signet ring. That is, he could seal anything he wanted, really, with the king's mark, a symbol that signified the king himself. He had that authority, and it wasn't just one and done for that decree back in chapter 3 of executing the Jews. It was, a, it was a permanent fixture. It was a piece of jewelry on his hand all the time. So Haman has plotted against the Jews, and God has raised up Esther to go before the king in defense of his people. So God is going to use this young lady and even her beauty in order to save Israel, his holy people. And that's exactly what we see playing out as we go through the entirety of the book. But here then in chapter 8, we're going to see a little bit more specific detail. Haman has been executed. So on, on that day, verse 1, the day of his execution, King Ahasuerus gives his house to Queen Esther. She now has authority. She now has charge over the house of Haman. That would include his wife, but it would include the property as well. So Mordecai is now before the king because Esther has told the king who Mordecai is, their relation together, that Mordecai is her cousin, but a father to her. He has raised her as his own for many years. And so what Ahasuerus now does is he takes that same signet ring that he had just gotten back from Haman, and he gives it to Mordecai, making Mordecai second in his kingdom over all things. Mordecai can now use the king's ring to seal whatever he wishes to seal. He has given him that authority. And Esther then gives the house of Haman to Mordecai. So now he has authority even over Haman's house. Now we had seen the idea here before of Esther coming before the king and willingly, right, the punishment of coming before the king without his invitation was death but willing to come before the king, hoping that he would extend his golden scepter to her, that she might touch it. That's his way of pardoning someone for coming into his presence without his permission. She does it again. So she comes before the king again. She's weeping because Haman's plot, so, okay, Haman's gone, but Haman's plot still stands. The, The wicked foe that she called him may be dead, But his attempt to kill all the Jewish people still stands. And so she she pleads before him. I mean, look at verse 5. If it please the king, if I have found favor, if if it seems right, if I am pleasing in his eyes, fourfold. Right? Her, Her begging as she stands before, or I guess falls before him, pleading. What's her plea? That the king would revoke the letters of Haman. And he can't. That's verse 8 down below, that an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. So Haman's edict stands, and the, the king is saying he cannot do anything about this. Now, in fairness, that's Persian law, and if the king really wanted, the king could go against it. He doesn't want that trouble with his people, though, because that might cause well, that might cause rebellion against him if the king is not willing to abide by the laws of their their history, right? their tradition in the past. So instead, 
Ahasuerus points out that he has given everything over to Esther and to Mordecai already, and he invites them to make a law as they see fit. Verse 8, you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. So just as Haman's edict stands, they get to make their own edict, which will also stand. Now this might be a family conversation point. What would you write? How would you seek to counter Haman's decree that all the Jews should be killed on the 13th day of the 12th month? Might be several different ways to go about it. We get to see how they do it here. So they summon the king's scribes. Now we're at the third month on the 23rd day. So we have almost, you know, what would that be? Almost nine months until the actual day of the destruction of the Jews that is ordered by Haman. And Mordecai has them write a command, an edict, to go out to all the satraps, again, a higher ranking official than a governor, and to all the governors, to the entire land of Ahasuerus, from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces. It's worth noting that's the same size as the kingdom from chapter 1. So in the nine years that have played out over the course of the book of Esther so far, Ahasuerus' kingdom has not changed in size. It hasn't grown, hasn't shrunk, same size. It goes out, as it did in chapter 3, to each people in their own script, so their own alphabet, their own kind of writing, and in their own language. And also to the Jews and their script and their language. That might imply that chapter 3 had not. Why write an edict that is going to kill all the Jews to the Jews? Who cares if they know? may have been Haman's position on the matter. But here it's specified this also certainly does go to them. So it goes in the Hebrew language, the Hebrew alphabet, to his people, God's people. It's written in the name of the king. It's sealed with the king's seal and carried by royal horses. Right? They have been even bred from the royal stud. So you've got this one horse of the king, and he has he's given birth to all these others. So this is certainly the king's decree, certainly the king's command. And the couriers take these letters out to all these different provinces. It's a, a long distance to travel. By horse, that probably stretches 2,000 miles to go from Susa all the way down to that furthest end to Ethiopia of this kingdom. And yet they go, right? By the king's order, urged by the king's command, they go hurriedly to deliver it. So what does the order put together by Mordecai say? The king allows the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, and to plunder their goods in victory. So, you have Haman's order that decrees that anybody can kill any Jew they want, and now you have this order from Mordecai that the Jews can defend themselves basically, is the picture that we've been given here. That's how they decide to go about this. My question for you to consider, and to ask your children here, I guess, would be, what do you think is going to happen on that day? So there's one day that this has all been decreed on. It's the 13th day of the 12th month. When that day comes, what do you think is going to happen? Now, 
for the people who saw the decree that they could kill the Jews and they were happy about it and actually were planning to do it, when they see the decree come out from the king that the Jews can fight back, you might expect that they wouldn't act, that they wouldn't do it. That's not what we're going to see. We'll see more of this tomorrow as we actually see this, this unfold. Verse 15, though, Mordecai goes out from the king's presence dressed in royal robes himself. Again, he's second in charge over all of the Persian kingdom. Dressed in blue and white, great golden crown on his head, fine linen, purple, all these expensive fabrics and things. Fitting of a king. And as he comes out into Susa, which is the citadel, which is the capital, the people rejoice at seeing Mordecai dressed this way. That says something about Mordecai, about his character, about how the people have have seen him as he lived among them. He's been living in Susa for a while, the entirety of this book, at the very least, if not much longer. And then, so that's the entirety of the people. But the Jews also, verse 16, specified they have light gladness, joy, and honor. You can imagine light here in contrast to the darkness of the anticipation of being killed in nine months. Now it's been taken away. They have gladness, they have joy, and honor. So they have honor among the people. They have gladness that they get to live, but they have honor among the people as well. The people actually see them now in a different light, in a different way. That's going to show up here in verse 17 as it it wraps up, that there's gladness among the Jews throughout the kingdom, and a feast, and a holiday— Come back to that in a second. But that many peoples declared themselves Jews because the fear of the Jews had fallen on them. So God's kingdom grows. I mentioned King Ahasuerus hasn't grown throughout the book, but God's kingdom just grew. A kingdom that is not of this world, but a people scattered throughout the world who trust in God, who look forward to the promise. And these people become part of the Jews. They declare themselves to be That means they're going to pick up the feasts, they're going to pick up the holy days, they're going to pick up the Old Testament, they're going to start reading the things of God. They have the invitation. Because of all of these things, they have the opportunity to learn of Yahweh and to learn of the Messiah that he is about to send to deliver his people from sin, death, and the devil. So we've been tracking throughout the book how was God at work behind the scenes in all of this. He's never mentioned in the book, but how is he at work? There you get to see it unfold. So ask your children... As you read the end of this chapter, how is God at work in this? And I've already shared it with you, so you can share it with them. That God has extended an invitation for the entirety of the Persian Empire to hear his word and to become people who trust in him, who have faith in his salvation. Chapter 9 tomorrow is going to show us the outcome of the two decrees and what happens on the 13th day of the 12th month, but it will also show us more of this feast, of this holiday. So I'll leave that from tomorrow, but in the meantime, I will point out that this is the eighth time in this book that feasting or banqueting has taken place. It's a common theme to be had, and we as Christians look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom, which knows no end. Amen. Praise me.